everybody and welcome back to the Ocean Impact Podcast. This is episode three of our Pitch Fest 2022 series. We are thrilled to be running this series again. And today we have a very special episode with Moitza Zupan, the CEO and founder of Planet Care. I'm Amelia Helt and I'll be one of your co-hosts for today. And as always, I'm joined by Tim Silverwood. How are you going, Tim? Really well. Great to be with you all for episode three of the series and uh, a really fascinating conversation. Yes. So Moitza was uh, tuning in from Ljubljana in Slovenia, which is one of my absolute favourite cities in Europe. It looks like a Disney movie. It's so magical. And uh, and just like real magic, Planet Care's closed-loop washing machine filter helps stop around 90% of microfibers in the wash cycle, according to their website. It's such a cool product, Tim. Yeah, it really is, and what a problem to be solving. I just think it's such an insidious thing that even the most conscious of us who would never dream of wanting to pollute planet ocean are kind of doing it every single time we turn on the washing machine. And it really feels like the industry has dropped the ball on not providing some sort of filtration system when they know that water being discharged from your machine into your sewage is going to be carrying with it all these fibres. But in steps a fantastic ocean impact innovator like Moitza and they have a fantastic business now servicing a growing number of countries and great ambitions to not just see their aftermarket solution that anyone can go and purchase right now and install very simply onto your washing machine but of course the really rich and exciting future for this startup which is actually working with the producers of the machines to make sure these filtration systems, which will be mandated very soon, are in there to prevent the microplastics and all those other fibres shedding into the sewage and obviously into the environment. So love this chat and love that, you know, Moitza is a, an activist and an entrepreneur bundled into one and making a really big impact. Yeah, that's so true, Tim. You raised some some really great points there. I think, you know, for me listening to this, there was some real similarities between her uh, and Declan from Panovo, actually, which is this idea that industry, you know, needs to play its part in stepping in to, to solve these issues. And she points out that she's super passionate about getting the message out there that microfibers are microplastics. And that's a simple thing, but some people probably aren't aware that it's it's the same thing. And much like, you know, Declan talked about paint being plastic. So, you know, it's really key the industry gets involved. And with Moitza, you know, you have someone that's really trying to drive change. And to your point, not just create this aftermarket solution, but make industry change and, you know, governments and all the things that support those step in to stop a problem that's actually not that hard to address and not that hard to solve if people just you know put a little effort in. And I, I think it's fair to say that that mission to tell people microfibers are microplastic was a big part of what kick-started her journey. So people are going to love this episode. She's just wonderful to talk to and it's great to see someone that's so passionate about the ocean, you know, tackling the issue. Yeah, and worth obviously pointing out as well that, um, you know, I suspect a lot of people are going to listen to this episode and going to go start Googling Planet Care and figuring out if they can go and get one of these filters to minimise the impact that they are unfortunately having on the ocean just by doing their laundry. But of course, there's Pitchfest 2021. We had the guys from Matter and their Gulp uh, solution, very successful crowdfunding campaign. Go and listen to that podcast too. So there's obviously a growing movement to address the problem. People are making decisions like buy well, buy once, don't get caught in the vicious fast fashion cycle because so much of those garments are very poorly made and they're made out of petroleum-based materials, which are going to be so much worse for the ocean, for the environment, than perhaps a well-made natural fibre garment that you know, you're going to treasure, it's going to have an aftermarket value, don't get caught in the cycle of needing to wear something brand new every single day. So there's a lot, a long tail, I suppose, to this conversation, but wonderful that 
the team at Planet Care have realized, you know what, this is shocking. Washing machines need filters. They aren't building it. We will. And in doing so, they're really helping to push this, like I mentioned before, this global mandate to make sure that jurisdictions say, if you want to sell a washing machine in this market, we mandate it has to have this filtration system in it. Because That's what we should have been doing decades ago, to be honest. It's really, really poor form that we don't have that yet. And in the process, just an absolutely astronomical number of fibres have been released into the ocean that never should have. So good on you, Moitzer and team. So glad that you're doing what you do. But also I commend um, yeah, commend everyone working on the activism side of things to get this legislation passed. Australia does have some momentum that in that place, but things can always happen faster. So I think one of the calls to action we say at the end is reach out to your representatives. If this annoys the pants off you, reach out to your representatives and say, what are you doing to prevent microfiber pollution from washing machines? Are you looking to bring in legislation to ensure filtration systems on new machines? Good. Keep going. That's it. People have more power than we think when we actually come together and, and do these things. And I think Moitza really embodies that ideal, you know, ultimately. So people are going to love this. Jump in, guys. Enjoy the episode. Let us know what you thought. Uh, thank you, Moitza. We really appreciate you having a chat with us. And thank you, Tim. Hope everyone enjoys. Enjoy. I'm delighted to have on the Ocean Impact podcast, Pitchfest 2022 series, Moitza Zupan, who is the CEO and the founder of Planet Care. And I really cannot wait to dive into this story today about this remarkable solution. How are you today? Oh, I'm very fine. Freezing on this part of the world, <laughs> but fine. Thank you, Tim. We were just having a conversation and you showed me out your window and there was frost and snow and I've got sweat on my brow in Australia. So it really is both sides of the world, both ends of the extremes at the moment. Exactly. So you're uh, currently in Ljubljana in Slovenia. We absolutely loved your application, your successful application to the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2022, just showing the awesome work that you've been doing and how far you've come in a very short time. Can you start the podcast by just telling us a little bit about Planet Care and specifically the the problem that it is that you're solving with this solution? Okay, so Planet Care is a small startup from Slovenia dealing with the problem of microfiber pollution. And I think that microfiber pollution, you know, is often below the radar, is just a type of pollution. People don't really realize it exists. But it's it's such a huge part of microplastic pollution. I think that we ought to spread awareness a bit more. Actually, you throw a plastic bag into the ocean every week simply by doing your laundry. You don't know it, but you do. And you would never just throw a plastic bag in the ocean, right? So we measure that, and it's the equivalent of a plastic bag you, you actually throw into the ocean. And... Since microfibers are highly mobile, they're like bits of spaghetti, ocean currents take them everywhere. So they're found far from the human settlement, like in the Arctic. They even have been found in the Mariana Trench, which is 11 kilometers deep in the ocean. So imagine a crab with a piece of your sweater in his intestines, 11 kilometers deep in the ocean. So that's how huge this problem is. And, you know, I made it my mission to put it on the radar with regulators to find a solution, you know, to just for systemic change. Because I thought, why is nobody dealing with this? And it's, it's something we can stop. And we should. So in a nutshell, this is what I do. <laughs> this is what we do. I love it. And I really want to dive more into that problem and, and how it has flown under the radar. And obviously now it's getting more and more awareness, but clearly not enough action to really address it. But why don't you get straight into the solution? What have you developed with Planet Care? Tell us about your approach to solving this problem. Well, our approach started off a bit differently. <laughs> Because you see, four years ago, when we started with this, the awareness was really low and people didn't really understand what we are doing and they thought it was not that important. But I was a lawyer and the only thing I could really, you know, do on my own was uh, um, 
file for patents, do DIP rights and, you know, uh, built a licensing model. So I thought, you know, we're going to do this great solution. We're going to patent it. Then I'm going to go to DOEMs, the washing machine producers. They're going to love it. They're going to pay me for, you know, royalties and they're going to install it in their washing machines. Except four years ago, <laughs> it was way too early and they didn't care. Nobody was really listening. In fact, when I went to a a large European producer, and I actually got a meeting with uh, with the board. A member of the board told me that you know I would be my, my love for the ocean would be better served if I just adopted a dolphin or something like that, and I shouldn't really be you know too involved in this because it's not happening. These filters, and I was mad. So I said, okay, we we're gonna go the other way around. We're gonna do the retrofit. We're gonna do the external solution to show that there are people out there you know lots of people who care we're going to show that it can be done because washing machine producer was saying oh it's impossible we can't filtrate those dirty water there's everything in it there's dirt there's you know detergents how are you going to filter this it's impossible so i said okay we, we're going to show you so we did this retrofitting device the one we're selling now uh, on a website and we we built a large community. We had proof of concept and all of a sudden regulators were listening. And so, you know, we have our first regulation in France, UK coming up, Australia had it in its plans, has it in its plans for 2030. So, you know, things are moving. And I believe that things are moving when you show proof of concept, when you show it's possible, when you put a product on the market and when you build community around it, because then they can no longer say people don't want it and it can't be done. And then fast forward to now, we have actually also developed a built-in solution that is a completely different technology to the retrofitting one because retrofitting one is a passive device and inside the machine you have electricity so you can have an active device. And we are very close to signing a contract with a uh, with a large OEM actually for, to to build our filters in their machines. But, you know, it, it took us four years and it took us a, a lot of... <laughs> efforts, energy, product on the market. But now it's happening and there's no way back. You know, it's it's not going to change. It's just going going to get better now. So this really makes me hopeful. That is so fascinating. So it's taken a long time, blood, sweat, tears, all of that to get there. But now you finally have the OEMs on side and prospectively really supporting you to take this to the kind of scale you always knew it needed to get to and that you thought you might be able to get to by bypassing all of this pain and torment of building a startup. So congratulations. That is a remarkable journey. Thank you. It's just getting better. (laughs) Let's just sort of go a little bit more into the granularity for everyone out there listening, uh, you know, about this problem. So what we're talking about here is our clothing that we obviously wash in our homes and our businesses, and that is releasing these microfibers currently just out into the, if if you're on a sewage system, then obviously through all the wastewater treatment processes, some people may not be on those systems, so it might be going straight into the environment. Uh, this has been going on for eternity. We've just been discarding our wastewater into the environment. It ends up in the ocean and our waterways. So you've obviously picked up on this ginormous problem and said something needs to be done and I'm the person that is seemingly going to be the one to go and do it. Like how did people view this problem before? Like did the wastewater people know about it? Like when did it really start to become aware that there was this huge problem right literally in our laundries? Well, I I think it's really just now getting the attention it deserves because, you know, you you never had headlines before like your clothes are polluting the oceans, but you have them now almost weekly, you know, and there's been like this huge meeting of all stakeholders organized by the OECD where we were diving deep into the question, are wastewater treatment plants the answer? And the answer, unfortunately, is no, because you need very, very expensive systems to really take out the majority of the microfibers or microplastics. That's A. So, you know, as not all cities or very few cities around the world could afford such an expensive wastewater treatment plant. 
But still, a lot of microfibers, specifically for the fact that they're like this, you know, cut off spaghetti. So basically, they they just escape. It's a different kind of filtration for fibers. So a lot of fibers still escape the wastewater treatment plants. And then there's the final biggest problem that then they are in the sludge that is left after the treatment process. And this sludge is then thrown because it has a lot of organic, um, actually, quality in it. It, it's It's thrown as a fertilizer on land. And so you have all this plastic thrown into the land, finely captured, nicely concentrated, and then you have it in your carrots and broccoli and everything and in the water again. So, you know, it's like a vicious circle. So only a few countries in the world, Netherlands, Switzerland, are really burning their sludge. But even that is not a solution because, you know, it's a resourceful material. It, it's, it, it's a shame to burn it just because it has plastic in it. If we know we could stop it at the source and the source is the washing machine. So like with every pollution, the closer you get to the source of pollution, the better the chances of stopping it. And that's the thing. I mean, from a a circularity perspective, thinking about biological cycles, at first glance, you're like, oh, brilliant. All that stuff that gets filtered out from our wastewater is being repurposed on farmlands and regenerating landscapes. It's only that we've enabled this hideous byproduct of our lives to be a vast portion of that sludge that we have this diabolical problem. I, I just cannot fathom the quantity of these fibers that are currently being discharged into the environment as sludge or even if they're burnt and incinerated that those chemicals are still out there somewhere on this beautiful biosphere exactly and that's why i think that the wastewater treatment plants are not the answer and cannot be the answer and i think that washing machines should have filters built into them because i don't really believe that it should be you know it should be a problem an individual should deal with i think you know it should be like a systemic solution built into these machines but it it takes a long time you know to actually change the machines because the machine has a lifetime of 10 years approximately at least in europe where i have the data for so you know even if the machines are introduced in 2025 then it will still take years, almost a decade, before we have like this real systemic change in place. And we don't really have that much time because we know the horrible statistics of the oceans. So I, I really think it's necessary to do something in between to offer a retrofitting solution. And it doesn't need to be ours. You know, there's a lot of solutions now out there. We just need to make sure that these solutions really work, that they're independently tested and, you know, that they do the job. But there's room for a lot of solutions, not just ours. And for me to say that about competition, it has been an incredibly lonely place opening this market, bringing this problem on the radar. And, you know, we were not hugely founded. So we were always kind of doing the gorilla thing. And it's been really difficult. So with more competitors emerging, with more people speaking about this, it's actually it's actually better for us. It's better for the whole planet, you know. So I would really encourage people to come up with solutions because we might work for someone. We might not work for, you know, it's like with cars. We, we don't just drive one type of cars. Why would we have just one type of filters? But at the moment, our filters really perform well. We were the first. We were basically the only solution on the market. So that's why us but i welcome all to fight with us i love that that's a true you know activist using the the power of business and markets to to drive the kind of change that we need to see in the world i've got so many questions for you but we might just sort of go into you know the current business model you've spoken a little bit about the potential for the future of the uh, the the agreements with the OEMs the yeah, yeah original yeah, equipment yeah. manufacturers yeah. you know with us it's like it's either the washing machine producer or their first tier supplier because the washing machine producers they buy components right and they buy them off somebody so basically we either make a deal with the washing pr- producers themselves which is not very common or their first-year supplier, which they choose, and they produce it, and we give the IP. So this is how it works. Great. So just tell me a little bit more about the the kind of business model that you've developed since your first prototypes and your first products. Like, How are you 
currently funded whilst you're pursuing those you know, wonderful and I'm sure very lucrative opportunities with the OEMs. How is the business model currently working for you and how has that come about? <laughs> well, Tim, lucrative was definitely not the word I would use for the past four years. <laughs> um, we were more like an NGO, really, because you see, when you put a product like this on the market, first, I need to tell you that there's a problem, right? Because you, you would know. And then I need to tell you that it's a huge problem and you should do something about it. You should help us bring on systemic change. Then I need to sell you the filter. So it's, 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 a, it's a long sales cycle. It's an exhaustive one, I mean, in terms of resources. So it was quite tough for us. And this lucrative business model, which is definitely coming, it's the licensing model, but it's uh, for our built-in product. Like, like I said, and it's and the licensing fees are uh, will start to come in from 2025 onwards. Of course, they will grow then substantially as regulation uh, spreads. You know, as as uh, the washing machine producers put it in more models. Because, like I said, I mean, there's no way back. Uh, even if they was now just start with France, they eventually it's going to be the whole world, or you know, first Europe, then it's going to be Australia, then it's going to be US, but eventually it's going to be you know the whole world. So, so hopefully that that business model is just going to be growing. But the other part is the the operating business model which we have with our retrofits. Basically, we have a web shop based on Shopify, and we just sell filters. Uh, because our margins are so low, we can't really afford to have intermediaries. So we don't have huge retailers, um, you know, at, not at this point. Because to start with, to build an MVP, we needed to buy overpriced and over-designed components that were out there for drinking water. And, you know, we don't need this over-designed and overpriced components because we're filtering wastewater. But there was nothing there was no such thing on the market before us and we could not buy components like that that's why we designed our own filter now after two years of selling the the original one that we sort of you know designed with with buying components of the shelf now we're going to do the whole production in-house it's going to be completely different. Uh, it's already in the field testing phase. We're very proud of it. Um, and it, we're going to use, obviously, recycled material. Um, it's going to be much lighter. And, of course, uh, business-wise, it's going to enable us to scale, to have margins to scale. So, you know, to be able to have huge retailers, brick-and-mortar stores to, to actually bring it to a lot of people because so far it's just word of mouth. We have this little web shop and, you know, people come and buy. And still we have 6,000 customers worldwide, which I think it's not, okay, it's not 60,000 as we would have wished, but it, it's not it's not a small number still. We're proud of it because, you know, with zero marketing money, we, we came so far. I just love that. And I just love that it's that perseverance and obviously you knew from the get-go what the successful model would be. It would be about those licensing agreements and getting it in with the OEMs. But you were able to persevere and build these hero customers who have heard the cry of what is happening when they do their laundry and they have taken all this initiative to go and become your customers. And so, again, I'm just so thrilled about the future and obviously there will be plenty more com competitors coming along and, and they'll be required because I can only imagine the number of washing machines that are going to be coming into the market in the next 10 to 15 years as these regulations come on board. Yeah, it really is fascinating. Oh, thank you, Theme. And we actually call them ocean heroes. They are our ocean heroes. <laughs> this is how we also call them because they are, I mean, really, I'm so grateful to our community because they they made something so much bigger than just stop their personal pollution. Because once, yes, they stopped their personal pollution. 
but they really fought systemic change and they're the ones who put this on the radar because me, myself, I could never have done it without this great community and without their constant feedback, you know, like we really talk with them. They're, they're a great, great, very engaged community. But going back to the market, you see that I'm going to speak for European numbers because this is the numbers I know, but there's 30 million new washing machines on the market every year and there's like 300 millions of already existing machines. So actually the market, even business-wise, is huge for retrofitting models. Even bigger in numbers at the end, and, you know, it's going to be there for at least the next 15, 20 years, the retrofitting devices will be needed. And in some cases, the retrofit device is the only device you can have, like with huge machines, like with industrial machines, 30 kilo loads and more, because we have commercial retrofitting um, devices too. So you see, there's a certain part that will always be a retrofit. It will always be an accessory to the washing machine. Very, very cool. Okay, we've got some other questions here that are a little bit more, I suppose, directed um, at you and, and your origin story. You mentioned a little bit for, before about what your career was prior, but you know, where does this sort of this passion for, for for pioneering, for being entrepreneurial, for protecting the planet, like if you could just tell us a little bit more about your backstory and, and why you're so motivated to to persevere in building this business. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it really, it was it was a coincidence. I was um, there was a touring exhibition in Ljubljana about plastics, specifically microplastics. It was from Switzerland, and it was a very interesting exhibition. So I took my kids; they were little at the time. Um, the teenagers, by the way, today. <laughs> so you know, they were still interested in going with me, and it was there for the first time that I saw these microfibers, you know, they were like, it, it was a pad. how from washing machine to the oceans, all these plastic particles. And I was like, really? Because I had three kids, you know, we have a dog and a cat. So we wash practically nonstop. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like throwing all this plastic into the ocean. And then, of course, being a lawyer, I couldn't do much about it myself, but... I was on, a, as a lawyer, I was on a project uh, with a huge company that had uh, problems with, with wastewater, with, with grey water from the industry processes. So in the same project group, there were water engineers. And so I went to talk to them and I said, hey, guys, I saw this. I mean, can there be, you know, is there something that can be done? What do you think? I mean, you know, you're technical guys. Is this, you know, completely impossible or could, could maybe, could we do something maybe? And uh, they said, okay, yeah, we can play a little bit. And so we played in our basements and we made very primitive filters. But we saw that basically the concept of filtration, the concept itself could work. And then we had, um, yeah, like I said, a very primitive version of a first filter. And I was Googling and I found this NGO, the Plastic Soup Foundation in the Netherlands. And they're very charismatic and passionate uh, founder, Maria. And I found it just, you know, browsing the internet that she was looking for a filter, that she's also convinced that there should be filters in washing machine. So I wrote to her. It was like, it was a Friday or something like that. So I'm writing to her and I'm saying, hey, um, I just read this interview. You're looking for filters. I think we have one. It's far from perfect, but it does work. We have measured it. Um, would you come and have a look? And Sunday evening, she says, okay, we're coming Tuesday. <laughs> it was like, wow, that was the, because I didn't even expect an answer for a month, you know. So there we are in our offices, actually my husband's offices, and we have this kitchen, you know, for, you know, this, this simple kitchen for just making coffee. And we have like two days to change it into the washing machine sort of laundry room with testing purposes. So like we're working for 48 hours straight. Until they come, so she comes with with with, um, with her chief innovation officer, also a technical guy, and they have a look and we chat and they say, okay, we'll endorse you. This is good. Let's do something together. But, she said, first of all, you need to do a better filter. 
Then I want it to be independently tested by the institution I choose because, you know, I'm not putting my name on something that doesn't work. And yeah, well, the rest is history. And But she, she really, she was the one that put us on the map. Did you know that that endorsement piece was a really important manoeuvre for you? Like, were you seeking an endorsement or it just was quite auspicious how it came to be? Completely auspicious. You know, everything I did regarding this project was, it might work, it might not, let's do something. You know, I'm really passionate about this. And money was, you know, that was like making money with it. That was the last thing on my mind at that time. I still had my day job, you know, and I was so proud because I had three little kids and I said, oh, I finally have a purpose. And they were so proud because, you know, mommy's doing something good and they were telling their schoolmates about it. And, you know, it just gave me like it was giving much more than it was taking. I was, you know, it was like first time in love. I had this project I was completely in love with and all the energy and the hormones that come with it. Yeah, I've been there. It's an intoxicating feeling. and. Yeah. Back to that question of perseverance, it's those things that help you through those really tough times. Exactly. It's like somebody once said to me that, you know, the secret to a long-lasting marriage is that you're like really, really in love at the beginning. So you have this huge bucket of love you take from even when things are not that romantic anymore after 15 years. And I think it's the same with the startups and this project, you just, there needs to be an emotional component to it because it's from this that you then, you know, take when times are tough. And yeah, like you said, I mean, or you try to say, of course, uh, it's very romantic. It's very intoxicating at the beginning, but then, you know, it's just business. It's accounting. It's dealing with people. It's dealing with suppliers. You know, it's, it's, it's not all, <laughs> not all of it is that romantic then down the road. And when you try to scale and, and get funded and, you know, looking for the next round, these are all very tough jobs. But if you, if you still love what you do, it's where you, you know, are fed from. That's so true. I love those analogies that you shared there. We love this section now to sort of talking about you know, off the back of that, is there some challenges that you want to, to share? Is there some sort of key achievements that you want to share? I'm sure there's lots from your, your journey, but yeah, just talking to some of those key challenges and, and key achievements through your, your time with Planet Care. Well, the greatest challenge, as I said, was getting um, the industry to listen because they were really ignorant. <laughs> some of them still are, but but really a, a small percent. So that was my my biggest challenge and also my biggest disappointment, I guess, at the beginning. Like, why is not why is the industry not listening? Why don't they see a potential in it? Because we are doing something good and surely there could be a marketing sales approach to this. I mean, why why are they not on, on board? And my greatest achievement was, I guess, the first regulation in France. I was so proud to be sitting at that table. And I remember going home from Paris saying, okay, if there's nothing else we did, you know, if we just close the door tomorrow, we did that. And it, it's huge. You know, it's it's like the small medal <laughs> that the whole of the team got at that day. We said, okay, good. It can only go upwards from here. Maybe not with us, but it doesn't matter. We did what we came here to do. You've mentioned some of those other jurisdictions that are looking or have this legislation in the pipeline. Is there a call to action to people that are listening in who are passionate about this issue? I mean, is it about writing to your representatives, asking where they're at exactly. with their policy? Yeah, simple as that. Yeah, exactly. Because I saw, you know, your last question that you're going to be asking me, you know, what could people do? Yeah, that's exactly what they could do. They could, you know, they could use their environments wherever they are to spread the word about the problem because the problem is huge, but it is preventable, you know. And also, of course, the local representatives, they should know about it and they should have it on the radar. They should be following France's ex example and they should be, there should be some, some sort of uh, uh, legislation making filters mandatory. 
Because if you come to think of it, why would a simple machine like a washing machine be a pollutant? Why? I mean, if we can make it in another way. Uh, and I think, you know, just going away from the washing machine, basically we should design all our machines that help us in our daily lives, you know, not to pollute. Because otherwise we're just shooting ourselves in the knee, aren't we? Because this is all we have. And it's really serious. It's like Sylvia all said, you know, without blue, there's no green. They are the lungs of the earth. They, you know, just come on. We need that ocean. It's not just, you know, for your, I don't know, for your soul to look at and, you know, to swim in, but it's, it's really, really um, needed for life on Earth. So it's, we should really try and do everything. And when people ask me, you know, it's like, okay, but I have to buy this filter. And, you know, what, what does it do for me? And I'm like, it doesn't do anything for you. It gives you a little bit of work. That's true. But it prevents the pollution. And, you know, it does its little part in preserving the ocean. So they will still be, you know, the, the ocean will still be alive when your kids grow up, when you yourself are 60 or 70, you'll still have an ocean. So what, what price would you pay to have the ocean in 20 years? And I just people just don't flip it because we're so used to this consumerism. Yeah, I'm going to buy this because it makes my life a little bit easier. I mean, look what we did with plastic. Wonderful, because it made our lives easier. And we were just piling up with all necessary items, right? I think we should, you know, just step back and go, do I really need this? You know, okay, it makes my life easier. But in the long run, what will it do for my life? Okay. Questions that everyone can, can ask. I mean, you know, you don't need to get the filter, but you could get, there's so much more you could do. You could just, you know, vote with your euro, think about it, uh, spread the world, uh, wash less, try and, you know, have less plastic or less fast fashion. I think there's a lot of really small steps. But if you think of it, if 9 billion people do just one little step a day, imagine the impact. Gosh, I have, I have so many questions. I get They all come into my head and I'm like, oh, I can't, to, I can't ask all of them because we'll be here all night. But I do know um, there's a great professor down here in Australia who was quite leading on microplastics from the beginning, Dr. Mark Brown. And he was looking a lot at the clothing, the textiles that come directly from clothing manufacturers and textile manufacturers and just sort of saying, can we do some studies to see how resilient they are to shedding when they come directly from manufacturing? Have you, are you coming across any brands that are willing to actually put their garments through their paces to understand ways they can be designing or treating them prior to coming onto the market so that they're less susceptible to shedding? Or is, is everyone sort of not really moving and being proactive? Well, first of all, I know Mark, and he actually has our filters to test. So we, we have been cooperating. And I like his approach because he's also, a, you know, he's a scientist and he says, okay, no nonsense, no greenwashing. We need to have we need to have here solutions that work. And I completely agree with him. We need to have more solutions to really put a stop to this problem. So yes, textiles are definitely one thing we should look at and we should make them better uh, if we really want to prevent this. And then at the end of the day, like we said, wastewater treatment plants and what we do with the sludge so and filters on the machines. And then if we, you know, if we employ all this, then something would have happened. Um, asking about the fashion industry, in my experience, knocking on fashion industry door was not very successful because they know they have this problem it was under the radar and they liked it that way because, you know, it's their business. And uh, uh, they they didn't really want to own the problem. Like, like washing machine producers, you know, they're right when they say, okay, but it's not the machine, it's what you put in the machine. Yeah, it's true. And then the, washing, the fashion industry says, yes, but it's the machine that, you know, tumbles and rocks and yeah. So, you know, you, you don't come to the end. So, yeah, we should all cooperate. But I don't think there are any fashion brands willing to, you know, to to do what you said uh, because it's it's just too exposing for them. But going back to Plastic Soup Foundation, I know I know they did some great studies. Um, I, I, 
you know, I'm I'm not qualified to really talk about them, but they are, and and they were actually, I don't know, they were taking like clothes from Zara, Nike, a, a lot of different brands, and they were actually they were testing it with institutes, like how they worn, how much they shed, and and they came up with some very interesting results. I think you can find it on their page, or I could link you with Maria if you if you you know like more interested to dive into that side of the problem, like the fashion industry side of the problem. But, you know, I'm not, I don't feel qualified. I I can just say that we haven't had much success with fashion industry endorsing the solutions, any kind of solutions, because, you know, they don't really want to own the problem. But but I have seen now Patagonia and Samsung joining, which is a first, and trying to do something about the problems of Patagonia being actually the first fashion brand doing something about it. But, okay, they are also a very large contributor to the problem because they basically just sell fleece that really sheds a lot yeah yeah it is that ex- exposure to the problem isn't it you know being so associated even though an opportunity exists to be a pioneer to tackle the problem head first to be a bold corporate steward but it's also a high risk maneuver at the same time so i do understand that and i'm sure many people are pained by the lack of leaders out there willing to be um, so you know bold in, in taking it on a couple of questions left to go uh, next one so just talking about the future I think we've been touching on this quite a bit through the conversation but is there anything specific in the next one to two years you've got coming up that you wanted to speak to to, to share with the listeners well yes a new filter <laughs> that we're so proud of that you know it's finally being produced in six months and I'm so happy because all you know we did all the little tweaks that needed to be done and couldn't be done with components of the shelf uh we listen to users uh it's so great you know we really have an advantage because we're the only company who already had this massive community to to actually you know get info or feedback from on how they would like their perfect device to look like you know what do they need on that device to make their life even simpler uh, or to to make, you know, the the pollution stopping maneuver more simple. I think we have a pretty straightforward uh, device on the market as it is and quite user-friendly, probably the most, but we wanted to go further. We really wanted to listen to all the pains. And now this one is, I mean, it's just perfect. It's, It's as perfect it can be at the moment, but we will never stop evolving. So we'll keep listening and hopefully, you know, our R&D will just keep going and every year we'll have a better device or every two years. And you mentioned before that you ship sort of worldwide. So just sort of speaking to prospective customers who are listening in, um, you know, what markets can they access your products and, and how does it work for people in different areas around the world? Well, yes, we do ship worldwide, of course, but there's this um, logistic component to to be thought of so like for australia and us we only ship the larger packs so basically we equip you for a year or even more like for 13 months so we don't have this back and forth shipping all the time um we take all the cartridges back now unfortunately the only refurbishment facility we have now it's in slovenia but we are looking to have a local refurbishing in Australia and US because, you know, it just doesn't make much sense to be shipping those cartridges back and forth. But you see, you need to start somewhere. And we started with zero customers. We have now 6,000, but unfortunately we need 5,000 in an area to make it economically feasible to refurbish locally. So people often ask me, yes, but now I need to send this back from the States. Yes, unfortunately you do until we have 5,000 like you there. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Um, but hopefully now in the States, we're we're quite close to finding an agreement. In Australia, we haven't been so lucky. It's kind of really far from our worlds. Uh, so we don't really have a partner there but but also talking with a with a few people to to bring it more you know locally because that would make much more sense but for now if you want to support us yes we ship worldwide and we take the cartridges back free of charge worldwide so you can be an ocean hero and like you said once you get to that five thousand critical mass which should be 
a no-brainer as as more and more of the um, the market takes on the solution, then the future looks bright. A couple of uh, key learnings from your career, uh, your journey that you would be comfortable sharing with those people listening in. We'd, we'd love to have some of those key takeaways and learnings from you. Well, first of all, I would say just don't give up. If this is something you're passionate about, if this is something you want to do, yes, it's not going to go smoothly. It really never does. Although we hear all this story of success, but you know, if you really dive in, there's been a lot of perseverance and a lot of rocks on the road before there was this huge success. So I think people are maybe not equipped to that because we romanticize these successful startups and startups, startup careers. And like you said before, you know, there are tough times and there are tough jobs in between that you're maybe not prepared for or even equipped uh, with the knowledge to deal with, you know, like, like with my former career, I had no idea about so many things I needed to learn as I go along and as I went along. And it was it was difficult at times. You know, all of a sudden you need to know finance, you need to know sustainability, you need to know chemical filtration, you need to know physical filtration. So, you know, okay, not into details, but you, you need to know basics of all these things if you want to run this thing. And it was hard. So, you know, be prepared to invest a lot of energy, learn, uh, basically live with it. For me, because I'm a mom, I always said it's it's almost like having a fourth child because it's, you know, it's basically the same. They're born, they need to learn to walk, you know, it's all these stages and then they become teenagers and they're a pain in the, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's the same with the startup, you know, it has all these life cycles uh, but you need to just be there. You need to not give up. And and you need to know for all founders, even the ones that succeed at the end, it's not it's not all roses and sunshine. It's going to be tough. And that's normal. That's okay. Because you're going to learn from the times that are tough. You're going to be better. Looking at me today, going four years back, I, I would have done a lot of things differently. But, you know, I didn't know then. I don't know. And also, yeah, going back to the founders, I think it's really, and, and the whole team, really, it's so important to have a great team. We really invest a lot in our team. And um, we, I don't know, we we have this friendly, almost family atmosphere that I think that really helps. Because at the end of the day, it's the team that delivers, right? It's the team that makes a change. It's never one single person. Uh, so you really need a strong team that has the same values, although it, it might sound cheesy, but really bound together by purpose. I, I think founders should really extend the feeling of ownership of the solution and the results and the positive impact to the whole team. It's not just me doing something and me changing the world here. No, you know, it's the whole team because I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not a, you know, a, a P, I don't have a PhD in chemistry. So no, I'm, I'm worthless alone. It, only with the team. And it's important that the team feels they're all contributing, you know, that it's our story. It's not my story. It's our story. I love that. Two beautiful um, bits of advice there. Words of wisdom from someone who's <laughs> been on a journey, still has a journey to go, but just a remarkable a remarkable story and, and and just an incredible solution to a problem that should not be as swept under the rug as it has been. Yes, you pointed out it's it is mainstream now. We all see the headlines. Everyone knows about the problem, but my gosh, the scale is just so big. So the more power to you and your team to have great success in the coming years. Thank you, team. Thank you, and thank you for you know helping us bringing this to the light it deserves so um just a moment for you i guess to speak to anything that you you really wanted to share today that you haven't yet and finally you know a message to people to follow and support you uh, as we wind up this great conversation well you the one thing i did not talk about and i think it's also important for people to realize or maybe for them to move faster is that the effects that these microfibers have on human health so basically it's not just the ocean health but it's really us humans suffering from 
from the pollution we have created. You know, they have found microfibers in everything you eat and drink. I mean, if you use salt today, you have them in your body. And, you know, they have been identified in human blood, human milk, human placenta, really fibers from your clothes. So it's not just it's not just the oceans. It's, you know, it's harming us too. It's harming the children. So just maybe... Some people wake up then sooner rather than later if they hear that it's really affecting the health and also regulators, you know, because at the end of the day, somebody pays for all those diseases from, you know, endocrine diseases to cancers that have now been linked to microplastics or microfibers. You know, this all costs money at the end of the day. So we should all really be stepping together and do something about it for our health and the ocean's health. So that's something I haven't mentioned. And I feel it's important because we have we have so much emerging research like serious scientific research linking uh, these two so health problems and a microfiber pollution and yes and then nothing more than i have already said just try to think what you could do to live in a more sustainable way like not to be perfect to be sustainable because You know, you might think that a little change won't do much, but it will. If all the listeners just do one small change, it's going to be a big change at the end. So I think that sometimes we're just, uh, we're so used to listening to doom and gloom on the news, like about the climate change and the plastic pollution. And then people just sit back and they just feel like hopeless, like, you know, this problem is so massive. What can I do if I, you know, I don't know, if I don't buy this plastic garment now, what did I do? Nothing, you know. But it's not true. It's, it's, you know, it's a few individuals who always bring on systemic change. So we should, we should just feel the power we have in ourselves to really do something. And we should bring businesses on board because a lot of people say to me, Yes, you know, I don't know, I should be walking around wearing monk's clothes, no makeup and be this uh, environmental warrior. But I don't think that's normal. Um, And I don't think that's something that's going to bring change, really, because I need to be out there, a normal person with a family, a relatively normal life, you know, but living in some sort of synchrony with with the nature i mean as much as i can but having kids and you know yes using every now and then a plastic thing but then i need to know how i will dispose of it and you know when i really need it but when you go to er you're very happy you have single-use plastics right (laughs) so it's not just you know banning plastics banning clothes banning synthetic fibers that doesn't work you know because there's 9 billion people and you cannot clothe them in organic cotton. That would be even more detrimental to the planet. So we need plastic. We need to learn to live with it. But we need to identify where we really need it and then how we deal with it in, you know, in the life cycle. And then I think we have one. Beautiful closing words. Thank you so much for your time today. Can't wait to follow the journey and uh, keep up the great work. Well, thank you, team, for having me. It was a real pleasure. Guys, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave us a bit of feedback. It really helps us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. On Spotify, you can let us know what you loved about the episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment or hit the like button. It means a lot. 